Okay, so you guys, I need a little help again tonight. So I need someone who will read Scripture and allow me to rudely interrupt them. Yep, yep, yes. Okay, so come on, grab this. Thank you for doing that. So I am, I'm just going to be horribly rude. I'm going to go stop right in the middle of when you're just getting going good. I'm going to stop you, okay? And then just don't be mad. We'll, we'll get back in. Okay. And then I need a couple guys that will be uh, microphone runners for me. Okay, you guys will do that again. Thank you. You guys are troopers. Okay. So here's the deal. And again, just in case you weren't with us last time and getting it, it is a huge help to me to know what we're getting and what we're understanding and where we are for you to ask questions. So there's two ways to do that. Uh, one is, is that if, if you can... Uh, Ask a question or make a comment by yelling, feel free. Uh, you can do that. But if you're going, you know what, I, I, my question's like more like a sentence and, you know, it's not just what in the world are you saying, um, then raise your hand and we're going to run a microphone to you and we're going to uh, get a question from you. And what that's going to do, and here's why it's so vital, chances are if you're not getting it, most of the room is not getting it either. Okay, And your teacher has just gone off somewhere by himself. And so you're going to pull me back to reality. We're going to do a better job of exploring Scripture together. So if, it's, if you're going, huh, raise your hand. Okay, and, we'll, and, if, and if you ask a question that we just don't need to answer tonight or it takes too long, we'll just say that. We'll just say, you know what, let's wait till afterwards. I'll meet with you. We'll talk. We'll get that landed. And it's okay. And we'll, we'll keep going on the deal. So um, before we dig in... I just wanted to say to you guys, thank you uh, for Sunday, uh, for Friend Day. And I get that for uh, a bunch of us in this room, when you come on a Sunday like Friend Day, you go, I already know the gospel. I mean, I've already heard that story. I've landed that decision uh, for myself. But you get that in that moment, what we're trying to do is take the opportunity for people who haven't landed that decision and to clearly, clearly give them that moment. And right now in the midst of the sermon series that you and I are in, we're up about 500 people. We don't know whether those people know Jesus as Savior yet or not. And then this last Sunday, we were up an additional thousand people who came in. So we're pretty confident that at least a thousand people. Yeah, very cool. You know, potentially a thousand people hearing the gospel in a different way because we invited friends. And then I think, you know, on any given Sunday, we've got people within our congregation who still haven't landed this decision either. So for you and I to stop a couple times a year and just be sure that we're getting that out and making that opportunity available is a huge deal. So I just want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for being patient and allowing us to do that together. And I want to thank you for bringing your friends uh, when we take that moment and the knowledge that at the very, very, very least... They heard the story of Jesus and had to make some sort of decision out of that. So thank you for letting us do that. Thanks for being part of it. The cool part about uh, Anquan being there, I think you guys probably caught on. This was one of the first times Anquan's ever shared his testimony publicly. He did it, the last time he did it was at the Super Bowl when they had kind of the Christian day at the Super Bowl. First time he's ever shared his testimony in a church. Um, you could tell he's a little intimidated, a little scared. We all clapped for him and he walked out and... You know, he couldn't even smile. He was so, you know, worried about what he was going to say. But um, one of the things that you and I have had a privilege in because of having friend days, this is either our third or fourth quote-unquote celebrity that this was the first time that they went majorly public with their faith in Jesus Christ. And the interesting thing is, is that in every one of the other occasions, I can't speak for this one, 
it then launched that celebrity to then begin doing that on a regular basis. So we've had that cool, cool opportunity to be their first foot forward in leveraging their fame to make Jesus famous. And I'm being serious when I tell you my prayer is, is that Anquan will go on and do that in Baltimore and uh, that it, it will just bring a whole new moment in uh, his life and in the life of a ton of people. So thank you guys. Thanks for letting us do that uh, and being part of that with us. All right. If I got it right, we are in Second Corinthians chapter 11. Did we make it to 11? Is that true? Yes? Well, you guys are highly participatory. This is going to be great. This is going to be off the hook. Did we make it to chapter 11? Okay. All right. There we go. Okay, good. Who yelled that out? That was totally... Thank you very much. That was totally cool. All right. You and me tonight. You and me. Okay. All right. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 1 right here. And here we go. Uh, there, there we good. go. I hope you will put up with a little of my foolishness, but you are already doing that. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? Is that just like one of those weird Bible verses? I hope you will put up with a little of my foolishness, but you are already doing that. Anybody want to take a guess? What's going on? What's Paul doing? Okay, what? He's being sarcastic, and you are dead on right and good for you. Here's what I think we do sometimes with Scripture. I think sometimes we get to Scripture and we get to those, hmm, that was weird. I think I'll read on and forget that I read that one. And the problem is that when you and I do that sometimes, it's sometimes it's the weird verse. It's the verse that just kind of goes, hmm, to us that actually sets the table for the rest of the conversation that's about to happen. And if you miss that moment, if you just skim over it, you're going to miss the tone and what is happening in the rest of the passage. So my encouragement to you is that when you get to those hmm verses, that you take note of them. At the very least, put a little check by them. Or go to a friend who maybe has a little more Bible knowledge than you do and say, you know, I I ran across this verse and it's weird. Um, And could you help me with it? Sometimes figuring out the weird verse helps with all the rest of the verses around it. This is one of those occasions. And we got it, and I'm glad we got it. And in this moment, what's happening is, is Paul is being highly sarcastic. And I won't make you guys go through. If you actually were to read the context, if you go to a couple of the other verses, if you go to verse 5, which we're going to get to, if you go to verse 7, which we're going to get to, go to verse 11, and if you take a look, all of a sudden you'll go, oh my goodness. He is, he's not just being a little bit sarcastic. This guy is being super sarcastic with these believers. And not only is he being sarcastic, in all likelihood, he is irritated with them. You ever had one of those moments when you're talking to one of your teenage kids? And you say to them, oh, no, I get it, I get it. I get that all your 13-year-old friends are smarter than I am. No, I get, I get it. I, I get that I've only lived 40-something years and that somehow I missed anything that had any relevance for life. You're right, you're right. Ever had one of those conversations? And, and, and there's sarcasm and there's also a little bit of irritation in the moment. That is exactly the mood. That is exactly the tone of Second Corinthians chapter 11. Paul is frustrated with these guys. He's saying, look, 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 you you guys are doing stupid, silly, baby Christian things. And and, 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 and you're acting like infants. And and, and he is talking absolutely with profound sarcasm and heavy doses of irritation. 
that he's even having to have this conversation with him. So as we go and as we keep going through, paint it in that tone and all of a sudden this chapter explodes and comes to life. And you'll hear it and see it a different way than maybe you ever have before. Okay? So let's go back, read verse 1 for us again. Read it slightly sarcastic for us. Read it like you're talking to your 13-year-old. Okay? And then we'll keep going. I hope you will put in a little of my... No, excuse me. I hope you'll put up with a little of my foolishness. But you're already doing that. I am jealous to you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Okay, so let's stop. He says to them, hey, I am... I am jealous with you for you with a godly jealousy. Is that possible? I mean, is there such a thing as a godly jealousy? Isn't that weird? I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Is that possible? No. How many people say, I, that sounds a little, I'm not sure you can be godly and jealous at the same time. That sounds a little weird. Anyone raise your hand? How many people go, you know, I think you'd be godly and jealous at the same time. How many people say, I'm not raising my hand because you're going to make me look like a fool. All right. All right. So grab your Bibles real quick. Go with me. Okay. Go with me to Exodus chapter 20. Genesis, Exodus. Exodus chapter 20. Anybody know what's happening in Exodus chapter 20? Huh? Our God is a jealous God. What's happening in Exodus chapter 20? Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments. And we're all supposed to know these pretty well, right? Okay, so here we go. Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 1. And here's what it says. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Commandment number one. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I'm going to suggest it's possible to have godly jealousy. If that's the case, because you get where I'm there, I mean, if God can be jealous, then there must be a godly way to be jealous, right? Or he wouldn't still be God because he would have sinned. So, what would godly jealousy be? Huh? Not sin, is that what we said? Possessive, okay. So, a possessiveness. What else do we think? I think he's jealous for uh, our attention, our love being placed at, in his proper place. And when we don't do that, he's jealous for that attention. Okay. I agree. Righteous. Is it possible... Let me ask... Let's change this a little bit because we're going to scare each other. Is it possible for a husband to have a godly jealousy about his wife? Is it possible for a wife to have a godly jealousy about her husband? What would that be? What would that godly jealousy be? 
explain that because let's just be honest. We've all seen husbands have an ungodly jealousy about their wives, right? Matter of fact, you know, it's an interesting thing. And here's why we're talking about this in a minute. I, I don't know if you know this or not, but Oprah Winfrey one day when she was interviewed talking about God and Christianity and all that said, I was tracking with Christianity until I read that verse. Till one day I heard a sermon in church about God being a jealous God. And I said, if God is a jealous God, I don't want anything to do with him. This is an interesting passage. It's a unique verse. Yeah. No other gods and no other husbands and no other wives. Okay. No other gods, no other husbands, no other wives. Would that be, would that be a godly jealousy? If I said to my wife, look, I just don't want you to have any other men who you give yourself either emotionally or physically to. And if you did, I would be jealous of that. Is that a godly jealousy? How many say, yeah, that's a godly jealousy? How many say, no, it's not a godly jealousy? Okay. If, if I say to my wife, I don't want you to be with another man physically or emotionally. And you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being a friend. I'm talking about giving your heart to another man emotionally. And if you do, that's going to wound me and bother me. Is there anything wrong with that statement to my wife? No. So wouldn't that be a godly jealousy? What would make it ungodly? If there was a threat attached to it. You do that, I'm going to beat the holy snot out of you. Uh, uh, you do that, you won't want to fall asleep at night. You know, that, that would probably move it, okay? So what, what's happening now is, is that although it may have started off as absolutely okay and absolutely proper, I'm now acting it out with threat, which would move it to something that is ungodly. Okay? Another idea might be the concept of protection. Um, I got your back kind of a thing. That type of idea of jealousy. Okay, so explain that to me a little more. The idea of protection and jealousy together. For example, I'm jealous for my children's welfare. Okay. I'm going to protect them. I'm going to have their back. I'm going to teach them. I'm going to be around Okay, I, I like that really, really well. I'm just not sure that anybody but a mother could be there. So, um, oh, I'm giving you a hard time. Um, I, I think that that's legitimate, and I think that in looking for the good and the well-being of those we love, we would surely take that stance. I think in this context, it really, really is about, I don't want you to be with another man. Look at the verse and tell me why... I think that. Help me out. Why do I think this context really is about, and it really is reflective of the idea of a husband and a wife, or betrothed and her beloved? Okay. Because in the passage, guess, look at, get, get the words which Paul is using here. He says, I promised you to one husband. And I promised you when you got to that husband, you would be a virgin. And he says, I am jealous over that for you. And what he's saying is, hey, there are promises here, there's covenant here, and it's okay for me to say, I don't want you sleeping around spiritually. I don't want you messing with others spiritually. And I would be jealous of that if you did. And Paul says that's a godly jealousy. Okay? 
So let's, let's go to the next step. Even in the same way, it's okay for a husband to say to his wife, look, and isn't that what we do on our wedding day? Don't we on our wedding day make vows that say, I will not be with another person. And, and you can hold me accountable. I will not. I will hold only to you. I will only be with you. And we make that promise. And it's okay and it's godly for me as a husband to say to my wife, I'm holding you to that promise. Don't think you're going to go out and mess around and I'm going to be going, oh, well, it doesn't matter. I can be godly jealous of this relationship. And a wife can be God. The place, the time in which it becomes ungodly is if I begin to make do ungodly actions. If I begin to inflict ungodly things on you because of my jealousy. Does that make sense? Yes? Three people are nodding. The rest are going, you are crazy in the head. Okay, good. All right. So then let me ask you this question. If Paul is giving us the parallel that says, okay, I'm jealous of you over with a godly jealousy. I don't want you committing spiritual adultery. What are some ways in which you and I could commit spiritual adultery? Okay? So I could commit spiritual adultery with money. How could I do that? Loving it above everything else. Loving it above God. Well, how else can I commit spiritual adultery? Seeing us... Okay, you just, you just gave me a word. Right, it's a psychic. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Okay, I can, I can fix that one. Is that right? No? Huh? Oh, that's right. P-H. All right. I, I went to college, I promise. Okay. If you... It's P... Did he get it? All right. So why would that be spiritual adultery to go to a palm reader, go to a soothsayer? Why would that be? Okay, it's part of divination. It's, 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 go, it's consulting. Hey, guys, here's the thing. Scripture is pretty darn clear. God says, I don't speak through psychics. I don't speak through palm readers, which means if you go to one, you're consulting another God. Which, guys, I'm just going to say this out loud real quick to you guys. I, and, and you guys can land this where you want to land. I, I'm just, I don't read horoscopes. And, 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 I, and I, I, I don't go to palm reader. I won't do, and here's why, guys. Because as best I get, if you go to a palm reader, if you go to a soothsayer, you go to a fortune teller, you've only got one or two options because God said, I do not empower them. I am not behind them. You've either got that they're a charlatan, so you're absolutely wasting your time and your money. Or, worse yet, there really is a power behind it. And since God's already declared it's not Him, you and I get one other option. There you go. And that's exactly why God would say that is spiritual ad- uh, adultery. You are consulting another God other than me. Okay? How else can you and I commit spiritual adultery? Money... Palm readers, psychics. How else? Counterfeit gods. Huh? Counterfeit gods. Okay, well, give me some, though. 
Sex. Okay, sex. Drugs. Um, materialism. Wow. M A <laughs> T E R. <laughs> okay, that was a little closer. All right. Materialism. Okay, materialism. People. I, I can write better than this, guys. It's it's got to be the pad. I'm telling you. Okay. And that's money, not monkey on the top. Okay. All right. All right. So so you get the gist. You get the gist of it. It's just simply saying, hey guys, any time that you and I put now stop thinking about this. What is it? What is? How do I commit marital adultery? When I commit marital adultery, what am I doing in that moment? I am allowing some other human being to occupy either physically or in my heart the place that only my husband should occupy, the place that only my wife should occupy. Isn't that marital adultery? Spiritual adultery is when I allow anything in my life, whether it's fame or popularity, whether it's friendship, whether it's my children, whether it's my house or my career, when I allow anything to occupy in my life the place that only God should occupy, I am committing spiritual adultery. And here Paul says, look guys, I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy because the problem is you guys are running around on God. You guys are are living with other lovers in your life other than God himself. And I have a godly jealousy to call you back to your husband. Okay, let's keep going. Verse Verse 3. We're cruising. We are going (laughs) miles an hour. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the servant's covenant, your minds may have somehow been led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Okay, so stop. So he says, I'm concerned that in the very same way that Eve stumbled, that you may have been led astray in your lives. Okay, so how did Eve stumble? The serpent comes to her. He begins to say to her, what? Did God really say? What's the parallel today for you and I? Because remember, here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying the very same way that Eve got off track, I'm afraid that right now you're being deceived in the very same way. So how does that play out in our lives? Did God really say? Any cases? Yeah, did God really say you can't have sex before? You realize when he wrote that, that was back in the olden days, right? That doesn't apply now. I mean, come on. How else? Did God really say a tenth? Praise God. Thank you very much for that. That was good. Thank you. You can have free coffee the rest of the year. All right. Did God really say it? God didn't mean that. God, you know, didn't know what he meant when he said tithe. No, that's... She, some Bible fanatic wrote that one. All right, what else? Huh? I, whoa, 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 I can't hear. So where's micro, microphone? You're not running. You got to run. <laughs> did this God is, really say money is evil? Oh, did God really say that money is evil? Yeah, well, no. That, he didn't mean it when he said it. Okay, so you get the moment. See, the the first thing that comes along is is that you and I, when we get to moments and parts of Scripture that we don't like, 
Guess what our hearts want to do? Well, God didn't mean that. That, that. That's not really an important part of Scripture. I could probably ignore that for a while, because that's not... That, come on. That Land. had to be Bible time stuff. Len? Yeah. Uh, even before Satan had a chance there with these other things, uh, Eve showed a desire for the fruit or for whatever it was, and that gave the uh, devil an opening to... To start to question. Sure. What Scripture God says said. Eve saw that it was good for food and she desired it. She was already taking a few looks, wasn't she? On the deal. What else? What else happened? Did God really say? What else did Satan say to her? Okay, if you eat it, you'll be like God. Remember, what's, what's the part just before that? You will not surely die. But God knows that in the day you eat it, you'll be like him. What's Satan trying to convince Eve of? That she's as good as God? What? She is a God. She is a God? could be a God. Someone said it. Someone was dead on. You can't trust God. See, see here's, what, here's what Satan was trying to say you realize God does not have your best interest at heart. The reality is God's got his own agenda. God's got his own plan. And the truth is, Eve, if you fall into the trap of following, following God's plan, you'll miss out. You'll get the short end of the sticky. And how many times have we believed that one? It's every little girl who's dating the boy she knows God doesn't want her to date. And guess what Satan's whispering in her ear right now? It's your last chance. Boy, if you don't snag him... See, I know, I know, I know what God says, but God doesn't understand. It's every single guy who's taken the career path and in the midst of the career path has neglected his family or neglected to be at church... I mean, you know, who cares? It's just Tuesday night Bible study, right? I mean, it's, it's just for a season. And guys, I'm doing me wrong. Don't me wrong. I get that there are seasons in life and there's moments where that decision may make sense. I get it. But if that decision makes sense because Satan's whispering in your ear and saying, look, 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 God doesn't have your best interest. And God really isn't concerned with your well. If you're hearing that, you know it's a lie from the pit. And in this moment, Paul says to the Corinthian church, you guys, you realize you're being deceived in this moment in the very same ways that Eve was deceived. God, God didn't really mean it. That's really outdated. God doesn't, God doesn't really have your best in mind when he asked you to do that. And guys, you, that is always, always, always a lie. And when you're struggling with Scripture, because believe me, you will struggle with Scripture, when you're struggling in the area of your life with obedience and your heart begins to give you those answers, God doesn't understand, the Bible just isn't relevant for this issue, God doesn't really have my best at heart, you need to know exactly where those lies are coming from. One place. The enemy. Okay. Back to the passage. Verse 4. How many people? We're just going so fast you cannot keep up right now. All right. Okay. Here we go. 
We may not get far, but you'll, we'll know what we said. All right. Verse 4. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus... You don't others... have to be sarcastic anymore. It's okay. Okay. All right. All right. It's being really hard on you, I can tell. All right. So, all right. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you received a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put it up with it easily enough. Okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. What's happening? That's, that's an interesting verse. And surely said with all the sarcasm we talked about. And here's think about what he says. Look, look, look. If if someone comes to you and preaches a different Jesus than we preached, if someone comes to you in a different spirit than the spirit we came with, if someone comes and gives you a different gospel than the gospel we gave you, you, you apparently are more than willing to receive it. You're more than willing to let that come. What's happening? Okay, microphone runners. I heard someone mumble. All right. Is it spiritual adultery? Okay, spiritual adultery. Okay, so we've we've kind of gone there. What's What's happening specifically in this moment? Where, where are they getting a different Jesus than the Jesus they had before? Okay, so Satan's behind it, but let's just talk practical. Who, how are they getting a different Jesus? Okay, so false teachers apparently are coming in the room. People are coming in the room, and as they come in the room, there's the real Jesus, and all of a sudden they're getting a false Jesus. Are you talking about the Gnostics? Okay, could have potentially been the Gnostics. I don't know if all of us in the room are familiar, uh, but the Gnostics were actually people who came back. And uh, how, how many guys are familiar with um, Tom Hanks? Huh? The Da Vinci Code. You guys are familiar with the Da Vinci Code? All oh, there's all these books of the Bible that were written and blah 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 blah. Jeez. All right, so just ask whoever tells you that to study a little bit of history because none of the books that they're talking about were written within even 400 years of the time of Jesus. And they were written by a group of people called the Gnostics who were actually Bible haters and were actually writing it in order to impinge and to attack Scripture. They have nothing to do with the Bible itself or any lost Gospels of Scripture. So, for, so it possibly could have been some early Gnostic teaching that's coming in the room. Okay, so what does he mean when he says, you've got a different Jesus than the Jesus? In other words, we talked to you about Jesus, but now you've got a different Jesus. What does he mean by that? Somebody's made up their own Jesus. Now, here's, guys, this is important for us because you realize that you and I live in a culture and in a time when there are tons and tons of religions that all would tell you we are Jesus followers. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe that salvation only comes in Jesus. Here's the problem. It's another Jesus. It's not the Jesus of Scripture. Okay? There you go. There you go. And I'm dead on with you. And so here's, here's what you've got to do in the moment when someone comes to you and says, Hey, I'm here teaching Jesus. The question you need to ask is, which Jesus? Are you here teaching the Jesus of Scripture? Because here's what... You guys have had this happen. Someone says, hey, do you know Jim? Oh, I know Jim. Yeah, wasn't that interesting um, how he fell off the merry-go-round last week? And you're going, well, no, Jim's in Panama right now. What are you talking about? And you go, well, Jim, no, he fell off the merry-go-round because he was too short and he couldn't reach the ring. You go, no, Jim's six foot four. What do you mean he's too short? Well, no, no. And then they were patching him up and the blood was getting all over his blonde hair. And you go... Jim's a redhead. What? And all of a sudden you realize you're not talking about the same Jim. 
And what you and I need to understand is, is that there's an awful lot of religions out there who use the name Jesus, but they ain't talking about the same Jesus we're talking about. They're not talking about the biblical Jesus. And you and I, first off, have to know who our Jesus is, so that as they begin to describe their Jesus, you and I realize they're talking about a different Jesus. The truth is, if you go down to Arizona Avenue right now, there's about 50 Jesuses. No, I'm teasing. All right. Um, I'm teasing. It's Jesus, but that's okay. All right, so it's okay. My son's name is Joshua, which is actually the Hebrew for Jesus. Okay. So is it the same Jesus? Well, no, it's not the same Jesus that you're talking about. He also then goes on to say, you didn't have the same spirit. What's the third thing they didn't have the same? The same gospel. Okay, so let's talk real quick. What is the gospel? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Okay. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. John. What does the word, what does the word gospel mean? What? Good news. So my question is simply this. What is the good news? What do I have to believe to have believed the gospel? What? What? I have to believe the resurrection. Virgin birth. What? That he was God. That he was raised from the dead without sin. The Trinity. Huh? Payment for our sin. What else? Huh? So yell louder. He ascended. He ascended. He's coming back. You know, you guys sound like some of the old-time Baptists I used to know. I don't spit or chew or what the women or do. Premillennial Bible believe in fundamental. Okay. All right. What else do I have to believe? Our Savior. He's our Savior. What else do I have to believe? Huh? Deity. Uh, we had Trinity, virgin birth. All right. We're going to put deity in there. That what? What? Whoa, whoa. Died for our sins. Everlasting life. Everlasting life. That he's our intercessor. Okay, so well, you guys are men. You guys have got the biggest gospel I've ever seen. I mean, it's long gospel. Okay, so let me ask you some questions. Can I, can I go to heaven if I don't believe that Jesus is coming back? How many say, no, you cannot go to heaven if you don't believe Jesus is coming back? How many say, yeah, you can go to heaven if you don't believe Jesus is coming back? How many say, I am deeply, deeply confused. I don't know if I'm going to heaven. 
Okay. Can I, can I go to heaven if I don't believe Jesus is coming back? Yes, you can. Matter of fact, there's an awful lot of Christians right now who don't believe that Jesus is ever coming back physically. They're called, it's an all-millennial view, and it just says, hey, I, you know, everything's going to get better and better and better and better, and, you know, finally it's just going to be good. That everything that's in the Bible is symbolic when it talks about Jesus coming back. They're believers. They're wrong. God's going to leave them here during the tribulation. No, I'm just teasing. But, you know, just to... Okay? But you, you, you don't... In other words, don't get me wrong. They're not... I, I, would, I would argue with you that they're not understanding a portion of Scripture. But not understanding a portion of Scripture doesn't keep me out of heaven. So what are those things which are so core to the story of Jesus Christ? To the, what the Bible would call the gospel. That if you don't believe them... You cannot go to heaven. In other words, missing this biblical truth, not understanding this, means you don't go to heaven. I had a hand up. Yeah. You have to believe and be baptized. Okay, believe and be baptized. So, all right, so do I, all right, there you go. So, baptized. I think the only things we were told we have to believe is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He died for our sins and He was raised from the dead. I think those are the criteria for salvation. Okay, so, so let's go back. Um... What if I don't believe the Trinity? What if I'm a modalist and what I believe is is that there's really just one God and that when He's in heaven, He's God the Father. When He's in my heart, He's God the Spirit. And that when He walks around on earth, He's God the Son. But I don't really believe there's three in one. I believe there's one who has three appearances. So I don't really believe in the Trinity because I'm a modalist. Can I go to heaven? Yes, yes. And I would argue you have bad theology. In other words, I think, I think that's an inaccurate view of what Scripture teaches. It's pretty easy. Jesus is getting baptized. Scripture says the Spirit came down like a dove. The Father in heaven was speaking. So you've got, if that's, you've got God in three places, right? At that moment, it can't possibly be modalism. You have three persons in the Trinity. But I can miss that truth. I can misunderstand that scripturally and still be a believer, still be going to heaven. Because the core essential of the gospel is, and we said just a few minutes ago, what do I have to believe? Okay, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. We've got to make sure it's the right Jesus, right? So what are those elements of the gospel? How many people are scared to death? Uh, All right, we're going to start again. He's the perfect sacrifice that God promised Adam and Eve uh, that he would uh, have on earth one day. Okay. Okay, I must be born again. So what I'm asking is, what do I have to believe to be born again? What is it I have to understand about God and believe? What are the very essentials? Let's go this way. This will help you. I have a five-year-old daughter, and I want her to put her trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Does my five-year-old daughter have to understand the Trinity accurately? No. Now, in maturity, and as you grow up in Jesus, I want you to understand the Trinity accurately. But understanding the Trinity accurately is not the gospel. It's not the essence of faith. Yes? Okay, so he died and rose again on the third day for our sins. And he's the Savior. He's the Messiah. All right, all right. Um, All right. Okay. You have to um, believe that 
you are actually in need of a savior, that you're not going to get there on your own, that he did something that you need. If you don't believe that you need him, what, what's the point? Okay, so I did? did something that I need a savior. We got, we got one more. I have a question. Okay. If we're struggling right now on what, you know, who, which Jesus we're talking about, then what's going to happen when somebody walks in the room and we can't scripturally understand which Jesus we're talking about? Okay. That's my question. Okay, so ask that, ask that in a different direction for me so I can understand. I, I love what you said. I just want to be sure I understand the question. What do you want me to rephrase? Just Jesus walks in a room. I, I just see a lot of confusion. Uh-huh. And so I think it's important that we're able to go to the scriptures and identify, you know, the real Jesus. Right. I absolutely agree. Okay. Lynn? So what we're saying is, is it possible that we're making it too complex? Well, I, I just, th- this is something that, that I seek counsel on. And so I just, I want to know if you can reiterate something. Okay. Um, I, I think that it boils down to our covenant, the covenant that he made with Adam and Eve. Uh, and it goes back to like Genesis 3, uh, 15. And from now on, the woman would, the woman, you and the woman will be enemies and your offspring and her offspring will be enemies. And it refers to he uh, who will crush your head and, and you will strike at his heel. Um, I think that that covenant right there sums it up. I mean, he is Jesus and he made that covenant. Uh, with Adam and Eve saying that, that Jesus would come and he would build an army against Satan. And, and that, that's like the battle. That, that, that's ultimately what we need to know is that he's going to come. And that's his virgin birth. That's death on the cross for our sins. That's the resurrection, his gospel, his preachings, and everything that comes in between. Uh, th- does that sound nearly accurate or even close? Well, you're close. And I think, you know, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 is surely the first prophetic passage in Scripture. It, it, is, it is that first hint that's given to us of the plan that God is going to have to send a Savior. I, I think it's a little hard out of Genesis 3:15 to get the entirety of the story, but you and I surely have a glimpse of the story when it talks about you, you will bruise his heel, he will wound you in the head. I, I don't know that we understand exactly that that means a cross and a Savior dying for our sins, but you surely get the, the taste of it, so to speak, in Genesis chapter 3:15. So let's, let's get back, because we're getting a l- just a little bit off, because this is essential, guys. Here's, here, guys here's, here's why this is important. If the gospel is the defining moment that makes us either believers in Jesus Christ, cr- true Christ followers, or not believers, then you realize that every other religion out there is going to be measured by the gospel. Do you believe this about Jesus Christ? And if the answer is yes, I believe the essence of the gospel, then those people are Christ followers. They may have struggles in their doctrine. They may have places of disagreement, and we can all agree to disagree on those things. But they're going to heaven because they've accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the opposite is just true. You don't believe these things? you're teaching some other religion and you deny the gospel, then you are not a Christian faith. You are not Christ followers if you don't embrace the gospel. This is the defining line, biblically. So the question is, what is the gospel? What are those absolutely essential truths that a person has to 
believe to be a Christian? Okay, so we've got a hand up. We need a microphone runner. Okay, well, so go ahead. You, you need to admit that you're a sinner. Okay, admit that you're a sinner. You need to believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins. Okay, died for my sins, sacrifice. That he has the power to forgive those because he's God. Okay. And that you confess them, he is faithful to forgive you. Okay. I think it's simpler than that. Huh? I think it's simpler than that. Okay, so get me simpler than that. I think we just need to believe that there is a God up there and that we ask him into our life and the only way to him is through Jesus. Okay. So John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Right? Okay. Why do I need to believe that God rose Him from the dead? Okay, so I'm just asking, if, if I didn't believe that, could I still be a Christian? Why? Why is that essential to my faith? What part of Jesus am I not believing in? In other words, I'm I'm not arguing with you. I'm just asking you. Okay, so you don't need to get mad yet. (laughs) Pastor? I I want us to land on the gospel tonight. I want us to be able to defend our faith accurately. If I found a person who said, I believe that I have sinned. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. But I'm struggling to believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm not sure I buy that one. I think maybe he rose spiritually. Okay, so let's bring it back, and I love your answer. Let's bring it back to, do I have to believe in the resurrection? Yes. Okay, I have a scripture. (laughs) Romans 10, 9, 10, it says, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth that Lord Jesus... And thou shalt believe in thy heart that God has risen from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, the man, with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Just as if Abraham, when he believed unto righteousness. Okay. So what's the gospel? Lynn, there are there are Mormons that would say that they believe that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again, but yep. they do not believe. They believe that he was just a man who was a good man who walked on earth. And so you have to know and believe that he was God, that he was without sin, that he was perfect. He was born of a virgin birth. Okay, so why is the resurrection essential? Because you're not trusting God if you don't believe it. You're not trusting his word. But see, I could argue I could argue that same thing about a person who says, I'm not sure if heaven is really there or not. Well, then you're not trusting God, but would, the, if, would that change whether or not I was a Christian if I didn't believe in heaven? Because it's what Jesus said he was going to do, and it's what, it's what his account says that okay, he so, did. So, all right, here we go. So we're gonna get the, Jesus said tithe. Mm. If I don't believe in the tithe, am I still a Christian? Yeah, so see, we understand is there are certain things that are biblical that you and I may or not not. And here's why this is important, guys, is because there are all sorts of faiths out there that claim to be Christ followers that may or may not know the gospel. If you and I don't know the gospel, then how will you know if they are true Christ followers? How much time do we have? Where are we at? Oh, uh, let's see. We've got about six minutes. We got six minutes to land this. Okay, we're in trouble. All right. I think that if you don't believe that he rose again from the dead, you don't believe in the in the completion of the cycle of God coming to earth, 
paying the price for our sins and rising again to complete the cycle so that we okay. may rise again. Okay, so since we've only got six minutes left, <clears throat> I'm going to go with you. And I agree with you. I believe that you have to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. A, because you're believing that the price was paid is complete. And I believe it is also a statement of his deity. How many humans do you know that have risen from the dead under their own power? So now you're declaring Jesus was not just a man. He really was the Son of God. And this is the affirmation that he was God come in the flesh. So I believe you're going to find... Okay, and let me, let me read to you real quickly um, another passage I think helps to define this. Uh, here's what it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So it's the book before this. It's verse 3. Here's what it says. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, primary importance... That Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. Okay? So Jesus Christ, A, I'm a sinner. Jesus died for my sins. He rose again. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. Now, so let's, let's throw some things in. What happens when a person comes to you and says, Jesus actually died to be our example? And the way you actually get to heaven is by being a good person. Is that the gospel? Why? What am I not trusting? The sacrifice for my sins. And here's what you need to get, guys. That one issue is the one that almost every man-made religion is going to struggle with. Because almost every man-made religion says, you be good enough to go to heaven. And that Jesus' death on the cross wasn't enough to get you there. It's one of the most obvious moments of counterfeit faith. Okay? So then if that's true, let me... If I believe this, can I go to heaven if I never go to church? How many say yes? You can go to heaven and... Okay. Can I be a strong Christian and not go to church? No. But you can be a Christian. If I believe this, if I believe the gospel, will I go to heaven if I'm never baptized? Why do you say that? But aren't there scriptures like Mark 16 that says, believe and be baptized? What is it? Huh? Help me, help me there because... Baptism Baptism is is one of those things that you're supposed to do after you accepted Christ as your Savior. But if you don't get it done, doesn't mean you're not going to make it into heaven. Okay, so what are you going to do with the passage that say, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins? Now, why is the guy on the cross important? The guy on the cross, and guys, just so you get this, the guy on the cross is an unbelievably powerful story because of this. That man on that cross, because he's got nails in his hands and nails in his feet, is never going to be able to do one good work ever. And the truth is he's on the cross because he deserves it. He earned, remember what he said to the other guy, hey, don't ridicule Jesus. We're here because we deserve it. So here you're talking about a guy who is a vile sinner, deserves to be killed for his sin, who the only thing he ever does right, he cannot go to church, he cannot tithe, he cannot go on a missionary trip, he can't do anything right, he can't take communion. 
He believes and puts his faith on Jesus Christ. He believes that Jesus dies for his sins. He believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And Jesus says, this day you'll be with me in paradise. That is the gospel. Not works, not communion, not Sunday school attendance, nothing else. Now, if I believe, if I truly am a Christ follower, will I do those other things? Absolutely. It's what James said when he says, you say you have faith, then show me your works. You're telling me you're a Christ follower, then let me see you follow him. But those things in and of themselves don't make you a Christian. It's just the reality that people who really are changed by Jesus Christ begin to do those things. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. And I believe it's God's Spirit that baptizes them. Yeah, it's a, yeah, and we could go and talk, but Mark 16, when it says, repent and be baptized, clearly talking about water baptism. It clearly is. It's not talking about Holy Spirit baptism in that moment. Here's, here's what you can do to help your friends who are struggling with that particular issue. Baptism is probably the first and most obvious thing you ought to do once you become a believer. Matter of fact, all ba- what is baptism? Baptism is saying, when you get baptized, Romans chapter 6 says this. This is what baptism is. Baptism is a declaration of my faith. And when you are baptized, you stand in the water and, the, and you're, you're doing a mime when you're baptized. Okay? God knew that when we became Christians, we wouldn't know how to express our faith. So he let us play act our faith. When you stand in the water, what are you saying? Anybody know? Okay, so I'm with you. What am I saying when I stand? I believe that Jesus Christ lived. Not that he was a spirit. Not that he's a figment of someone's imagination. I believe Jesus Christ came to the earth and he lived. Remember, you're miming this. Okay, you're play acting it. When they put you under the water, what are you saying you believe? He died and was buried. When we bring you back up out of the water, what are you declaring? I believe in the resurrection. What's the gospel? The Son of God came to earth, died for my sins, rose again. Baptism is simply an outward declaration of what you already believe. When were you saved? You were saved when you believed it. When you got baptized, you just told everybody else what you'd already done in your heart. Take anything with you that you have, but you can take everything with you that you are. Sure. I'm with you. We're good. Okay, so I think we, I used up our time. I got everybody a little bit mad and greatly confused, so we're good on that. Here's the thing, guys, and here's, it, this is just the takeaway. This is just the takeaway, guys. The gospel is Jesus Christ came to earth to die for my sins, nothing else. Not church attendance, not communion. You rise, there are churches out there that teach by taking communion, you're saved. That is not biblical. It's by faith in Jesus Christ that you're saved. He died for my sins and he rose again because it worked. Because he was the Son of God. Everything else, and don't get me wrong, there's lots of other really, really important things in Scripture. But believing the gospel is the dividing line between heaven and not heaven. And if someone, if someone struggles with those three truths, then they've missed the gospel. And it's a false teaching. It's a false faith. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, come to die for your sins, and that believing on Him gets you to heaven, it's a false gospel. It's another gospel, Paul would say. Make sense?
Sort of. Okay. All right. Good. I'm going to get lots of emails. I can see it. Okay. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your scripture. Thank you for the chance to dig in and wrestle through uh, in our faith. And God, I just, I ask for all of us that, that we would be so committed to understanding what we believe and those things which are essential to our belief that when counterfeits walk in the room, we say, whoa, 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 whoa. You're teaching a different Jesus. You're proclaiming a different gospel than that which is accurate to Scripture. And then vice versa, God, that that we would be able to sit down with Christian brothers and sisters who perhaps believe some things differently than us and view scriptural passages differently, but be able to come down to that which is important, to come down to the gospel and say, but you and I agree that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He died for our sins, and that He rose again on the third day. So even though I disagree with you in doctrine, I know you're a brother or sister in Christ. I know you've received the gospel. God, we would at least be able to grasp that within our understanding of Scripture. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you guys. Thanks for tolerating me. Um, Jeff's going to be back next week. It's the final week of the mine. And then we're going to take the famous summer break. And then come fall, you're stuck with me. So there you go. All right.